going to do something a little different tonight. I noticed when last we spoke, there are a few people struggling with the order of the events of the book of Revelation. And let me say that's completely understandable because the events are not always chronological. And we saw a perfect example of that with the trumpets. We first get the trumpet calls and the havoc and the pain that they cause the people of the world. And then in the next chapter, it goes back in time again and gives us the other events that have happened during that time. And we also saw it with the four horsemen. They were not four horsemen that rode out at the end of the days. They rode out after the fall of Adam. Coupled all those things not being chronological and the mysteries. And it's easy to get lost in the understanding of the book. So here's what I'm going to do tonight. I want to back up to chapter 4 after the admonition to the churches and I'm going to give the chronological events through chapter 11. And we're going to omit all the proof texts that we did as we went through these chapters. Just give a brief explanation of the happenings as we go through and we're going to focus on the chronology of the book. And I want to do this for a couple of reasons. First, I was gone for a week. Some of you missed some weeks, and that can be a real problem in understanding the teaching on Revelation. So let's go back to chapter 4. We're just going to read a few verses of each chapter as we go through. And in this chapter 4, we're getting a glimpse of the heavens and the coronation of King Messiah. And we know this is heavenly because we read in the very first three verses of chapter 4. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and a voice that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Immediately I was in the rock and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one seated on the throne. And so John is taken to the heavens and he's going to see while he's in the heavens, the coronation of King Messiah. And with the coronation, the Messiah is giving power to accomplish what is going to take place after this, as the text said. And if we're going to read on in chapter 4, we would get a description of the throne of God and the heavenly assembly before the throne. But we're going to skip past that now, and we're going to go to chapter 5 in the coronation. And we're going to get all the elements of the coronation. Verse 1 says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a scroll written within on the backside sealed with seven seals. And so at the coronation, remember, the coronation of a king in Israel, he's given a copy of the scroll of the Torah. It is the law by which he's going to have to rule the land, and so he has to have a copy of the Torah. And if we look to the book of Deborah, Deuteronomy, it tells us that he has to do more than this. It says, now when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself a copy of this Torah scroll. And so we know what the scroll is. It's the Torah, the laws that will judge the peoples of the earth. And when we studied this, we looked at the book of Enoch. And he tells us much the same thing. And this is what the first century believers possibly would have thought. I think it is what they would have thought. And it says this, in those days I saw him, the antecedent of time, while he was sitting upon the throne of his glory, and the scroll of the living ones were opened before him. And so again, the scroll contains the laws and the judgments of God, but more than that, remember, the Torah also contains the history of the righteous, 
men like Abraham. And it also contains the history of the wicked, like Pharaoh. It contains the living ones, those who are dead, and also those who are dead in their sins. And while this copy not only contains the few that are in our Torah, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so forth, this one is the history of the entire 6,000 years of the present evil age. And we should understand that with the coronation, we're getting ready for the king to begin to sound the seven trumpets, part of the judgment of God. But first, the scroll has some seals that have to be undone. And so verse 2 says, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. And I wept and I wept, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And so again, the scroll is sealed with seven seals. The judgment of God are not able to be open. And John weeps because he knows that what must take place after this depends on opening that scroll. It contains the history of the righteous and it contains the history of the wicked. So let's read in verse 5. And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And so again, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, are both titles of the King Messiah. He's the lion and he's the root of David. And he alone is able to open the seals. And we understand why if we read in verse 9. And they were singing a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you redeemed for God those from every tribe and tongue, people and nation. And you have made them for our God a kingdom and Kohanim and they shall reign upon the earth. And so it is only Yeshua who's able to open the scroll because he's paid the price for each and every one of the living ones, every one of the righteous on its pages. And it's also records his rejection by the wicked and their fates are sealed as well. The righteous are the ones who heard the words of Yeshua and believed, living their lives as he commanded. And finally, in the last of the verses, we get the acclamation of the king. And I'm going to read it through just quickly. Remember, we saw all these things when Joash took the throne. So it says this, Then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and their number was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands and they were chanting in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in the heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and everything in them responding to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing, honor, glory, and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. So these praises for the Lamb are what is known as the acclamation of the King. And with the acclamation of Yeshua in the heavens, we now have a new King, and the King has given power to bring about what must take place after his coronation. He can open the seals. He has the power to bring the salvation to the righteous, to the living ones, and the destruction that we're going to read about in the following chapters. He has the power to do this. And we all know, or we all should know, that Messiah is going to judge the earth. And he'll judge the righteous righteous, and he will judge the wicked as wicked. 
So chapter 6 is a bit confusing, and this is one of the places where the book gets confusing because it's not chronological. In chapter 6, we have the removal of the seals, and with their removal, we're going to take a trip back through history, back to the fall of Adam, and what Adam's sin unleashed on the world. And we see this with four horsemen riding out. The first one is on a white horse in verse 2. I looked and behold, there was a white horse, and the one riding on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. He went out as a conqueror, so he might conquer. And you might remember that we spoke about how this is the adversary of God. After he deceives Adam and takes the rule of the earth from him, he rides out on a conquest to rule the earth during the present evil age. The white horse symbolizes not the rider, but it symbolizes the condition of the earth when he took power. Adonai created the earth, and when he created the earth, it was all pure and innocent, hence the white horse. Verse 4 says, Then a horse came out fiery red. The one riding on it was permitted to take peace from the earth so that the people would slaughter one another. He was given a great sword. And so the red horse takes the peace that God had created the earth with from the earth. This rider taught men to kill one another. And if you remember back, we spoke about how the first major event after the fall and the birth of Adam's son was Cain slew Abel. By the time we get to Noah, the whole earth is filled with violence and needed to be destroyed. And so this rider taught men violence. Then we get to the next seal. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature saying, Come, and behold, and I saw a black horse, and the one riding on it held a balance scale in his hand. Then I heard something like a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not harm the oil and the wine. And so the next horse that rides out actually enslaves men. And like slaves, he ensures that they have what it takes to survive and nothing more. And we spoke about how men, even today, men live paycheck to paycheck and they die with nothing. Many barely enough to bury themselves. And the point is men of the world have been enslaved to the rulers of this present evil age. And then in verse 8, we read, Then I saw a horse, pale, greenish gray. The name of the one riding on it was Death and Sheol. And following him, authority was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword and famine and plague and by wild beasts of the earth. And so finally we have the fourth rider and he takes long life from the world. If we look at the word, men lived hundreds of years anciently. But however, as time goes by, and in this country, in the 1800s and the early 1900s, Life expectancy for a man was about 45 years. Only in the last 100 years or so has it begun to increase, and now it's still just 75 years. Couple that with wars, genocide, plagues, and it's easy to see that this rider, through the centuries, has killed a fourth of the world's population as they have not lived out a full life that was intended by the Creator. Remember, even Abraham lived 175 years. So what we're seeing in the first four seals is the condition of the world under the ruler of the present evil age, the rulers of the present evil age. Now, verses 9 and forward give the result of these horsemen, what they've done. And when the Lamb opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altars the souls of 
those slaughtered for the sake of the word of God and for the witness they had. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, O sovereign master, holy and true, how long before you will judge those who dwell on the earth and avenge our blood? Then a white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little while longer until the full number of their fellow servants was complete, their brothers and sisters who would be killed as they had been. And so the people of God, those people who have followed the Holy One and lost their lives during the present evil age, are crying out to God for him to bring about his reign on earth, to restore the earth, removing the evil that the horsemen have inflicted on the earth, and they are told to wait until the full number of the people of God are complete. And with that phrase, we see the compassion of God. Remember last week, I focused on the compassion of God, that none should be lost. And with the sixth seal, we're going to see the rule of God coming into the earth. Then I saw the lamb open the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth, made of goat's hair. And the full moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth like a fig tree drops unripe figs when it's shaken by a great wind. And the heaven ripped apart like a scroll being rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved from their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the military commanders and the rich and the mighty and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they tell the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come who is able to stand. And so what I want you to see is what we have done in this chapter is we've had a limited review of the entire 6,000 years of this present evil age. We started with the fall of Adam and the rule of the adversary and man, and now we've come to the day of the Lord and the rule of God has come. We've gone through what happened after the fall of Adam and until the rule of God. And so in essence, we're back where we left off in chapter 5 with the rule of Messiah, the new king. And then the last verse of chapter 5, remember the last verse of chapter 5 said, the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing, honor, glory, and power forever and ever. And the last verse of this chapter is, for the great day of their wrath has come who is able to stand. And so we've had this interlude where we've had this brief look at history. And so chapter 6 was a brief history lesson. I'm not going to read chapter 7, but in that chapter we have the sealing of the first fruits of our Jewish people, 144,000 Jewish people, 12,000 from every tribe, with the exception of Dan and Ephraim. And they are the first fruits. And remember how we look at the first fruits is actually 150th of the Jewish people who will be sealed. And so we determine as the first fruits being 150th, if we multiply 144,000 by 50, we find that it actually represents 7,200,000 of our Jewish people. And not that alone, but it also tells us that we have another multitude from every nation who are also sealed at the start of the day of the Lord. Okay, so now chapter 8 begins the judgments of God and the first four trumpet blasts. That will begin at the start of the day of the Lord. The trumpet blasts are designed to bring terror and discomfort that the people of the earth should repent and turn to God. They're designed to bring people to repentance. And so again, these trumpet blasts 
we are going to see the compassion of God again. And that none of those who would turn to him should be lost. These trumpet blasts are much like the plagues of the Exodus. They bring discomfort, but the first don't really affect the people. Don't directly affect the people, I should say. For the most part, they do not directly cause death to the people, just pain and distress. And the reason is God is testing the world because, as Hosea said, in their distress, they will seek me earnestly. And in the past, if you see distress come upon people, what do they do? If they've heard about God, they cry out to God, don't they? Sadly, not many people are hearing about God anymore, but that's what happens. And so that's what God is trying to do with these trumpet blasts. So I'm going to read through them quickly. The first trumpet, and there was hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown upon the earth. A third of the earth burned up, a third of the trees burned up, and all of the green grass burned up. The second angel trumpeted, and something like a huge mountain ablaze with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea turned to blood. A third of the creatures living in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel trumpeted, and a great star fell from the heavens, burning like a torch. It fell on a third of the rivers in the springs of water. Now the name of the star was Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many of the people died from the waters that were made bitter. The fourth angel trumpeted, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day would not shine as well as a third of the night. And so what I want you to see, that this again is not directed against people. It's not really bringing death to people, but it's bringing about misery. And the misery is in hopes that the people of the earth will repent and turn to God. That's not to say that no one will die because of these blasts, but I'm saying that they're not directly against men. And so the last trumpet blast now we're going to look at, they're going to more directly be against the people. And we read uh, this fifth one in chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. And the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it, the smoke like a gigantic furnace. And so with the fifth trumpet of God, he opens the abyss. And remember when we taught on this, we found that it was a place of the evil spirits, that evil spirits had been imprisoned. And so what he does is he unleashes these spirits upon the earth to torment men of the earth with the exception of the people of God or as Revelation puts it those with the seal of God on their foreheads and we are told that the torment is going to be so bad that the people of the earth will actually seek death but not be able to find it they will long to die but death will flee from them they will not die and so here, like the plagues in Egypt, the intensity with each plague increases because God is trying to get the people of the earth to repent. Now the sixth seal, and this is directed at men. It is said to the sixth angel holding the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who have been prepared for this hour day, month, and year were released to kill a third of mankind. And so now the plague is really bad, and a third of mankind is killed. 
And again, even though a third of mankind is killed, it's done in the hopes that the rest of the people of the earth will turn to God. God in his mercy is not willing that any be lost. And so those who will turn to him not be lost. Sadly, though, after the plagues, we read this. In verse 21 of chapter 9. And they did not repent and turn away from their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their stealing. And so, even after going through all of this, they still do not repent and turn to God. And that's what's going to bring about the seventh trumpet and the wrath of God. However, the seventh trumpet doesn't sound until chapter 11. And so, what we have in the next chapters is again an interlude between the sixth and the seventh trumpet sounding. And beginning in chapter 10, we're going to get some more details about what has been going on during these first trumpet soundings. Chapter 10 is going to speak of an angel that sounds very much like Messiah. He's wearing a crown like a rainbow. He has a foot on the land and a foot on the sea. And that shows that this angel has authority over both. And so the angel is coming in power and authority of the Messiah. And it reads this way, beginning with chapter 5. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand toward heaven and swore to the one who lives forever and ever, who created the heaven and what is in it, who created the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to trumpet, the mystery of God is complete. Just as he declared to his servants the prophets, the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little scroll. And he tells me, Take it and eat. It will be bitter in your stomach, but sweet as honey in your mouth. So I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had swallowed it, my stomach was made bitter. And they tell me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And so here we speak of an angel who has authority over the world. He has one foot on the land and one foot on the sea. Just as if you were to defeat an enemy, you might place your foot on their neck. And so it speaks of a scroll given to John. And he is to eat the scroll. And it's sweet in his mouth and it's bitter in his stomach. And I think we can assume that the scroll speaks of what's to come. It will be sweet in his mouth in that the rule of God is in the earth and the people of God are going to be vindicated and spared about what is about to come. Yet it's bitter because those who are not followers of Yeshua are going to go through misery and eventually perish. Though that is not the will of God, it's God again calling to the people of the earth to repent. The will of God is that all men would turn to him. And that's because Yeshua paid the price for all men. As John told us, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The price had been paid for all men if they just turn and accept the gift of God. Now something else happens during the trumpet blast. And we read this in chapter 11 and verse 3. And I will give authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days dressed in sackcloth. And so these two witnesses come in the spirit and the power of Moses and Elijah 
And just as John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, Luke chapter 1 tells us this. He says, And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient ones to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready for Adonai a prepared people. You know, last week we spoke about how these are going to be the ones who prophesied to the world those six plagues, those first six trumpet blasts. In essence, they said, tomorrow the God of Israel will bring hail, fire mixed with blood, and true to the prophecy, the next day these things were thrown down upon the earth, and a third of the earth burned up, and a third of the trees burned up, and the grass burned up. Now, as you can imagine, with these guys calling down all of these plagues, the people of the earth aren't going to be very happy, are they? And so we read this next. When they finish their testimony, the beast rises from the abyss and will make war on them and overcome them and kill them, and their corpses will lie in the open street of the great city that figuratively is called Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. Some of the people and the tribes and the tongues and the nations will look on their corpses for three and a half days, not allowing them to be placed in the grave. Those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. They will celebrate and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. And so the people of the earth are going to rejoice, thinking, hey, the plagues are over. These guys are dead. And they hate them so badly that they rejoice and they gloat over them until, verse 12, after three and a half days the breath of the life of God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice from the heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched them. They're resurrected and that should tell the people, hey, it's not over. It's not finished. Now all this happened in the holy city of Jerusalem. And after they're resurrected, this happens in verse 13. At that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in an earthquake. The rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. This is a major event there's an earthquake, and at the end of the six trumpets in the holy city, the Jewish people in Jerusalem turn to God. They repent. They give glory to God, and that's going to be important for us as we get into chapter 12. We have all of Jerusalem and Israel repenting. They see what's going on, and they repent. Then the seventh angel trumpeted, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his anointed one, and he shall reign forever and ever. And with the seventh trumpet, we're going to come to the wrath of God. But before the wrath, which won't happen until chapter 16, we have chapter 12, and it's a very important chapter. We will look at it more closely next week, but I want to just cover a portion of it, just skim through it briefly to show the continuity of the book again. Remember, toward the end of chapter 11, the Jewish people turn to God. They see the resurrection of these two prophets. They see the earthquake, 7,000 people perishing, knowing that it's the judgment of God, and they turn to God. And then in chapter 12, we read in verse 1, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. 
And so we have a woman that's clothed in the sun, the moon, and the 12 stars as a crown on her head. She's pregnant. And if we're going to understand the identity of the woman, we only have to go to the Torah and the dream of Joseph in chapter 37. Then I had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his fathers as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous, but his father kept the matter in mind. And so the woman is Israel, and she's about to give birth. She's in birth pangs. The word for birth there is Odin, and it means birth pangs. And remember, I told you last week that one of the other names for this period of time is the birth pangs of the Messiah. Now go to Revelation chapter 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. Nasty fellow. The dragon is probably Satan or this personification, the false messiah. And the word for crown there is diadem, not Stephanos. When I spoke of the woman's crown, it will be a wreath given to a victor. But the beast has a crown of a ruler. He swept his tail and a third of the stars out of the sky flung them to the earth. Where it says a third of the stars of the heavens, this would be fallen angels who followed the adversary, who were hurled to the earth. And then in verse 5 it says, She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. Her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And so what we have is Israel, and we have the birth of a child, and the child is the Messiah. And we know this by what is said of him. He will rule with an iron scepter, and he was snatched up to God and to his throne. It talks of Israel being in birth pangs over this child. And the adversary of God, the dragon and his hordes, are going to seek to destroy Israel. But, in verse 6 we read, the woman fled to the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. And so the dragon is going to make war against Israel, who has repented and turned to God and Messiah, but she's going to be taken to a place prepared for her by God for three and a half years. Again, that's 1260 days, the last half of the troubles that are coming, the wrath of God. And so Israel will turn to God at the end of chapter 11, will be kept safe from the adversary of God, and more important, the wrath of God that's about to be poured out. And the point is, the rest of the 50th of the first fruits, which again, if you multiply a 50th, 150 times 144,000, you get 7,200,000, is kept by God, not only from the pursuit of the adversary, but also from the wrath of God that's going to be poured out. Israel's going to be saved. She's going to be taken to a place that has been prepared for her, and she will be kept safe. And so I hope this helped clears up some of the confusion over what's going on in the book and the jumping around in time because it does jump around in time and it goes back and forth in different things. But next week, we're going to look at chapter 12 and we're going to look at the salvation of the Jewish people again. And we're going to go through some proof texts and so forth as we have been doing in the past. So we'll be focusing on chapter 12 next week.